Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and find verse 17. For the past couple of weeks, we've been in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And for the past couple of months, really almost the entirety of this year so far, we've been in the book of Hebrews. And this morning, we're going to be considering some of the patriarchs, how they trusted God, His promises, lived by faith, and how by God's grace we can do the same. So if you would, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we ask this morning that you would illuminate your word to us, that you would cause us, enable us by your grace to understand, to hear, to believe, and to rejoice in you, to rejoice in your word, that all together, as your family, we would learn to live by faith and so be pleasing to you. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So as we're having a seat, I want you just to think about this question, how, how do we live by faith? We know that it's necessary to live by faith if we are to please God. We, we heard that from Kyle a couple weeks ago. And like Jesus, as children of God, we just want to please God. And as our Apostle Paul says, we want to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. It's just natural for us. So I understand that's, that's a really big question, how do we live by faith? And I'm sure many of us here have many helpful answers, I'm sure. But really what we're asking this morning is, what does our passage this morning help us understand about trusting God's promises and living by faith? And to kind of get started, I want you to picture this with me, all right? Let's imagine for a moment that um, you're in Cracker Barrel, okay? And some guy walks up to you and says, hey, man or lady, listen to me. Meet me in Houston, Texas tomorrow at 11 a.m. Head on down to the baggage claim. I'll be there waiting for you. I'll have a check with your name on it. Five million dollars. Guy scratches his head, turns around, walks out, gets in his car. What are you thinking right there? Right? You're kind of like, man, that poor guy, he's crazy. Please, you're thinking that, right? Like, you should be thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not reasonable. He's, how on earth, okay? Now, let's just change the scenario just a touch, okay? Now, imagine yourself at Cracker Barrel just down the road, a distant aunt or uncle meets you there. Gives you the same spiel, Houston Airport, 11 a.m., baggage claim, meeting with lawyers, inheritance check, $5 million. 
I just saw some of your heads pick up. <laughs> right? Not so unreasonable. What do you do as a good Reformed Presbyterian? You walk out of Cracker Barrel and you're like praising God for his providence. It's just a really different response to what you just heard. You're really excited and you're trusting what? That what was just promised to you is happening tomorrow at 11 a.m. What's the difference between these two scenarios? It's really simple. Who talked to you? Really, that's it. Everything else is the same, but the person who spoke changed. See, in scenario number two, you know and trust the person who promised you something extravagant. You trust that person. It's only reasonable for you to act on what you just heard. You go and buy a plane ticket, and it's a good day tomorrow, right? Well, I want you to think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and I want you to realize that they were approached by God, and God revealed himself to them and made promises to them, and then God walked with them throughout the entirety of their lives. In short form, they knew God and feared him and grew in their holy reverence for him simply because God made himself known to them. And the more they knew God, the more they were convinced that he was trustworthy and reliable. And so God himself became the source and the foundation of the patriarch's faith. And by faith, they trusted his promises. And by faith, they led their lives and walked with God. And this is true for us. God has revealed himself to us in Christ and he's promised us precious promises in the gospel. And if we are to live by faith, we must grow in our trust of God and our knowledge of him and his promises. And then, this is it, reason and live according to his promises like the patriarchs. Let's look at verses 17 through 22 together. I just want you to notice the men listed here. We've already listed them a little bit here, but I keep using the word patriarch, and if that's new for you, it's okay. It just means in Hebrew, just taken for father. So these fathers of the faith, put very simply. Anyway, notice who is listed here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These men and their stories dominate the entirety almost of the book of Genesis. From chapter 12, we hear of Abraham all the way through 50 There's only 50 chapters in that book. 12 through 50 is dedicated to or revolves around, in a sense, how God interacted with these men and their families, okay? So what I want you to just pick up on is simply this. So much of redemptive history is dedicated to this family here, this lineage of Abraham, okay? Now, each one of these men, though they were related and of the same family, they lived very different lives. One was arguably the richest man in his day, one of Abraham, okay? Another one of the same family was an indentured servant for at least seven years and then longer being tricked and then earning a wife and really crazy story. And then to make it even more, huh, another one of these guys, Joseph, was second in command of Egypt after a life of roller coastering. Now, I just want you to picture that for a moment. Take a presidential 
uh, a president of history in America, in none of their lives can we trace such magnitude of influence, of really just kind of shock and this family has been through so much and it, it covers so much of life, okay? Don't forget this. Now, all of them though, though very different, had one thing in common. God, the creator of all things, elected to reveal himself to each of them, to make each of them his own and to make covenant promises to them and to bless them. Pure grace, simple and free. Now, what do I mean by covenant promises, okay? Well, in the Near East during that time of the patriarchs, a covenant, this is very simple, put simply, it's just a contract of sorts, okay? And all the YAF people who've been getting emails are like, okay, enough already. <laughs> We've been talking about this for about a month. Um, but the contract had, it was an agreement and had obligations for each party. Typically, for the enactment of covenant promises, a higher status individual covenanted with a lower status individual. And in this covenant contract bond, there would be promises made as each party upheld their end of the deal. So in essence, let's take the lower guy. If the lower guy fulfilled his part of the covenant, he could expect the covenant promises of this agreement. Fair? Whatever it might be, land, security, whatever. Whatever was promised in that covenant, he would receive. Well, pick this up, what we're talking about, the patriarchs. God, in his grace, stooped low and covenanted with men. Don't let that pass over. You need to know this. This is absolutely unique to any world religion, period. And I'll tell you why. It's unheard of for a lower G God to covenant with men. The answer is simply this. Covenants require that the God who covenants is actually faithful. The covenant rests upon the character of the God. And so what do we see here? Actually, Psalm 115, 4 through 7 tells us why it's impossible for any other God but the living God to covenant with men. And they say this in Psalm 115, 4 through 7, the gods or idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but they do not smell. They have hands but they can't feel. They got feet but they don't walk and they do not make a sound in their throat. The idols of the nations now and then in the time of the patriarchs are absolutely incapable of keeping a covenant. This is not the case with the patriarchs. God Almighty revealed himself to them. He covenanted with them, and then further, he made promises that he would fulfill. And guess what? He did every single time. That's one reason why we, we call God, our God, the living God, because he actually moves, because he actually is and he actually does what he says he will do. He's alive. And this reality that this living God, this relationship that the patriarchs shared with God was the foundation of their faith in him. 
You see, God didn't just wave at these men from a distance, like, hey, right? He personally interacted with each of them and carried them throughout the entirety of their lives. Listen to what Jacob says. Genesis 48, 15, as he's preparing to bless Joseph's sons, this is what he says. Genesis 48, 15, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, that's where he starts. These are not the words of a man who knows about a God. This is a man who has an intimate relationship with God Almighty. And you know the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. I know you do. It's like me asking you right now, hey, do you guys know Elon Musk? And some of you are like, yeah, I know that guy. Other people are like, I have no idea what we're talking about. It's okay. And you, those who say, yeah, I know Elon, you might even be able to talk about you know, Tesla for a minute or whether you call it X or Twitter, I don't know. The news can't even decide. It's all just wild, right? But we know that that's something about Elon Musk or whatever. That's not actually knowing him. And so we conclude, you know, like, yeah, I know we know about him, but we don't, you don't know him. <laughs> I don't know him. That's knowing about him. That's not what Jacob's talking about. You're seeing that, Right? No, like Abraham and Isaac before him, Jacob knew God and found out through God's revelation that he's faithful and trustworthy, calling him his shepherd. Jacob knew who God was because God was gracious and revealed himself to them. And this relationship, I'm going to pound this, this relationship with God was the source and foundation of the faith of the patriarchs. And I want to tell you the same thing. It's the same for us. Our faith in God is not something we work up. Breathe. Hear that again. Your faith in God is not something you muster. But rather, as we've heard maybe three weeks ago, Heidelberg Catechism, question 21, really helps with this. Listen, here's the question. So what is true faith? Here's a little bit of the answer. True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold is true all that God has revealed to us in his word. So, But it is also a wholehearted trust, ready, which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel. As we come to know who God is through our Lord Jesus, as he's revealed himself in scripture, we by the power of the Holy Spirit, become convicted and convinced that God is real. And not only that God is real, but that he's faithful, that he's trustworthy, and he's altogether satisfying. That when God unveils himself to us by his grace, we come to this understanding where the things that I've been looking for, the I come alive, you came alive, we come alive, and God fulfills all that we really want. He becomes the substance of even our affections. And it's from this change of heart, this place, God revealing himself to us and renewing us from within by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, we start to be convinced of realities we never dreamed of. 
friends, I just want to just, as we keep going on, you can, and honestly, if, if we're going to live a life of faith as a church, we must trust Christ. We must trust God in what he said. Okay, so moving on, we've seen that God revealed himself to the patriarchs and their knowledge of him proved to them that he was trustworthy and reliable and was the substance of their faith. Now, look back at Hebrews 11. Let's walk through this a bit. 17 and 18. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now notice how Abraham is relayed to us as the one who had received the promises. In Genesis 12, 15, 17, and 22. It's like a lot of chapters. God reveals himself to Abraham and makes promises and confirms those promises over and over and over. And the promise to Abraham really centered upon, like we heard last week from Essen, God giving Abraham descendants, descendants as numerous as the stars, and when he looked down, as numerous as the grains of sand that were on the, the desert floor. In essence, God promised Abraham nations. Now go a little further, look at verse 18. And what does it say? It says that through Isaac shall your offspring be named, which is a quote from Genesis 21, when Abraham was actually waning in his faith a bit here. And he had fathered a son by Hagar named Ishmael. God came to Abraham again, revealed himself and said, gave him the covenant promises again. And Abraham's response this time was, he laughed a little. He says he laughed to himself. May Ishmael live before you. He says he's on his face. May Ishmael live before you. And God says very emphatically, no. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He does bless Ishmael, but he confirms the promise is through Isaac alone. We should also remember that that um, don't give Abraham too hard of a time. It's been a long time he's been waiting for Isaac. A long time since the Genesis chapter 12 to where we're headed in chapter 22. It's a long time between there. Well, guess what? Isaac comes along and everyone laughs because his name is to laugh. It's wonderful. The covenant promises are beginning to take shape. Things are going well. And then in Genesis chapter 22, the unthinkable truly happens. You know the story. In Genesis 21, uh, 22, 1 through 2, we read these words. God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, he says, here I am, Lord. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, so good so far, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The next words are pretty poignant. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. There's not even a slight bit of hesitation. And as a daddy, that, I kind of wonder, right? He rises early in the morning and sets off to sacrifice his son. 
And if that wasn't enough to pause, to go, what is going on? There's also a really big problem right now with this word from God. It's this. Abraham's son Isaac, remember, is the promised child through whom all those covenant promises are supposed to happen. It's like a big, what's happening to any reasoning, thinking person? This is the dilemma of dilemmas. Remember, God has covenanted with Abraham, so he's not suggesting Abraham go do this. He's covenanted with Abraham and has said, I'm commanding you, it's a command, go do this. And again, the son through whom the promises of God are to be fulfilled is being asked to be offered up. You see the problem? Okay, this is ridiculous, I admit it. It's kind of like Willy Wonka, okay? Just, you're gonna have to bear with me. So imagine yourself, just to lighten it up, just a touch, Willy Wonka handing you the golden ticket, okay, and saying, don't lose this ticket, it's the only ticket that is going to get you into the chocolate factory. It's the only one. There are no more tickets. This is the only one. This is your ticket. Don't lose this ticket. And you love chocolate, like me. And you know that this is everything I've wanted right here. And now I have it in my hands. And just a couple days, I'm in the factory. And it's all made, and I'm ready. And then a couple days later, Willie comes back and says, burn that ticket. And you're just thinking, well, how do I get in though? (laughs) Like you just said. And so what we're seeing here is there's a dilemma. I can't get where I thought I was going. Everything seems to have, to any normal reasoning thinking person, I've fallen through. (laughs) Well, the story continues. Abraham does. He takes Isaac up the mountain, binds him. And in verse 17 in Hebrews, relays to us that he is in the act of sacrificing his son. That is when the angel stops Abraham, provides a substitute for Isaac, a ram caught in the thicket, and God commends and blesses Abraham at the end of this. And honestly, that's wild. I mean, I'm being serious. If you're a living, breathing person, that's a little strange. And you go, And honestly, I think that is the whole point of this story being relayed to us in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham did all of that by faith. Look now to verse 19. He considered Abraham. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Focus in on that word. He considered The root of this word is where we get our English understanding of reasoning and logic progression. Abraham knew who God was, knew him as the covenant-keeping God. Remember, this is towards the end of Abraham's life, chapter 22. So he's lived a life with God. He knows God. He's observed him. He's benefited from God and his covenant faithfulness. And in the face of this staggering trial, Abraham looked to God and reasoned that God would never go back on his promises and so the most reasonable, logical conclusion of this seemingly unreasonable command, God will bring him back from the dead. 
the covenant continues with Isaac. Abraham was a reasonable man. He reasoned according to the promises God had made him. Obviously, it led him to do some seemingly unreasonable things. But God commended him and he walked by faith. In essence, the writer of Hebrews, this little moment in Hebrews chapter 11, is kind of peeling open Abraham and showing us what was going on with Abraham during this excruciating, woe kind of trial. And it's just simply this. Abraham, by the grace of God, knew who God was knew him to be faithful, knew him to be the God who keeps his word every single time. I'm convinced of that because God's been nice to me. From there, I'll begin my thinking. From there, I'll begin my living. And he's commended as living by faith. And friends, we just have to ask ourselves this question in the midst of this is, how are we reasoning our way through life, right? Do the promises of God play that kind of role in our living? Maybe said differently, is the gospel and all that Jesus has accomplished for us, is that framing and shaping the way we live, okay? Is the reality that Christ lived the life you and me couldn't live, truly sinless, perfect, fulfilled all righteousness, and the the truth and the reality that that perfect sinless one gave himself for us? as a substitute, as we've already kind of seen this language in our passage, that the perfect sinless one offered himself for the sins of his people, something unthinkable. And that God confirmed that that sacrifice was worthy, good, right, anyone who puts their faith in him lives forever kind of stuff because the stone rolled away. And they came looking and what did the angel say? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's this statement that Jesus has been exalted by God. Jesus is the Son of God in power by the testimony of the resurrection. Is that kind of stuff, that reality, shaping the way I'm kind of looking at today? Okay, and to make that really practical, all you who go back to work tomorrow, is that reality that you've been adopted by God, your approval is based upon faith in Christ and he loves me and calls me beautiful because Jesus is beautiful, would that stop you perhaps tomorrow from seeking your approval from your boss? Would that stop us from living for the approval of how productive was I today? You've you've already been affirmed, like big time, by the highest authority. You're free from that way of reasoning and you're free to live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for you and loves you it's the same thing with kind of like self-worth things are we still trying to find our self-worth through the opinions of others and guys I get this we're sinners we, we feel this rising in us that's why sometimes it can feel so applicable to all of us are we living for the opinions of others or are we realizing that in the gospel the righteous one was given for you and for me and you are like It's not a feeling you've been declared righteous in the sight of God. If you put your trust and your faith in Christ, stamp, sealed, 
And let that reality show us that, you know what? I am a sinner and I need help, but thank goodness I don't have to look at myself to get myself worth or other things. God has said I'm worthy to be with him because Christ has paid for me. That, that's a beautiful thing, and that's a different way of thinking. We would say that that's reasoning by the faith given us by God in the gospel. It's good news. It is for me. Now, let's look at the remaining these patriarchs quickly. I just want you to see how it seems like this picture that Abraham was to his sons and grandsons and all that, they just followed in his footsteps by God's grace, Okay. Look at it, please, at uh, verses 20 and 21. Show us Isaac and Jacob pronounced blessings to their offspring according to the promises of God. And it should be really noted here that Isaac was dwelling in a tent, okay? Blind and basically unable to do anything. And in that time, I mean, that's not really the guy you're probably going to look for to like, that guy will tell me what's going to happen. That guy's going to tell me what's good. I mean, look how he, he would even go so far back then, some would say that that man might even be cursed of God. Look at him. But what does he do instead? What, what do we see? Genesis 27, 29, this is what Isaac says. Let people serve you, talking to Jacob, and nations bow down to you. And these are the promises that God made to Abraham and have been affirmed all through the family line. He reasoned according to the promises and blessed his children. Likewise, in verse 21, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim when he was dying. Though at the time of his death, he still did not possess the land of Canaan. He said, grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And then he told Joseph in Genesis 48, 21, God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. And so by faith, he blessed his children and grandchildren. And then finally, verse 22, Joseph. And this is really cool. After moving back to Egypt, after the death of his father, he reasoned according to the promises of God and said in Genesis 50, 24 and 25, I'm about to die. But God will visit you, talking to his offspring and his family, and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You shall carry up my bones from here. And you want to know something wild? That was a promise given to Abraham. Do you see the generations that have passed between there and there? The years these guys lived like 110 years old, right? It's just a long time. But what do you see that they're, they're reasoning and they're living by the covenant promises of God? And that, that right there is what's commended to us. That they live by faith in who God revealed himself to be. They lived by faith in the promises God gave to them. They reason different. And you got to see this too. Do you remember Jesus talking to Peter? Let's bring it home. It's this. Peter stands up, Caesarea Philippi. Jesus says, hey guys, who do the people say that I am? And Jesus is like, I got it. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus, what does he say? Two thumbs up. Peter, that's not from you. That's from my father in heaven. A plus pal. 
Don't tell anybody, but yeah. Right? And then just a couple, and it doesn't really say, but not too long after that, Jesus is like, and the Son of Man must be given over to the chief priests and the rulers. They'll scourge him, they'll mock him, they'll spit on him, and they'll kill him. But on the third day, he'll rise again. You know what Peter's like? You know the story. No. No, it won't. Lord, that should never happen to you, is his response. You're there with me now. What does Jesus say in response? Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're reasoning, you're thinking like a man. You're not setting your mind, it says in Matthew, on the things of God. And then he follows. Jesus goes further. He says, if you want to follow me, you've got to die. What do you mean I've got to die? You count your life as not worth it to you because you view me and my life so worth it to you. That's not super popular. That, that's a different way of seeing the world. Are you following me on that? Paul said it this way. He said, the word of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. But we preach Christ crucified. That this message of the cross of the gospel is upside down. But this is what we're being shown is but this is how the people of God have always reasoned. This is how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have, and Joseph, and Moses, and all that will be shown to us. This is how they've always thought because God in his mercy and his grace reveals himself to us in the gospel and changes us. And we go, yes, that's the promises you've made. I'm, I'm following. I'm into this. And so to wrap this up, I just, <laughs> you and I are called to live like this. And you ask me, Taylor, that's impossible, <laughs> right? Especially with the whole Abraham passage, everyone's squirming. You know, that's impossible. I, I just want you to know this, that Jesus actually gives us all a lot of hope. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And what does he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So the call to us is simple this morning. It's, it's not, friends, it's not, hey, go be Abraham. You can't. Hey, go do what, that's not the call. The call is, wow, that's really something else. <laughs> I need someone to show me that. And Jesus in John 15 says, so abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But through me, what? Paul picks it up. A lot of things are possible. So church, this morning, let us like the patriarchs, but maybe just by the simple and pure grace of God, offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Be renewed in our minds. Worship him and adore him. And in that, God is gracious and he will cause us by that same grace to live by faith in the Son of God.
who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray together. It's beyond our comprehension and we fully admit that. Our Lord and our God. But we also admit that in the same breath, you, dear Spirit of God, who dwells within us, you press us onward and you're revealing to us the truth. And so we ask by your pure grace, cause us to love our Lord Jesus, that our affections would be turned towards him, that we would behold him, that we would, as he has said, love him and in so doing, fulfill his commandments by this grace. We entrust ourselves to you. We love you. Thank you for being our God. We are your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.